Hi everyone, welcome back to the Met Bullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of preoperative evaluation found under the cardiovascular section at metbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 40-year-old obese man presents to the emergency room with a large umbilical hernia and intermittent abdominal pain. He has a past medical history of untreated chronic hepatitis C and unstable angina. On physical exam, ascites is noted. The umbilical hernia is reducible. On laboratory evaluation, his bilirubin is 3.2, prothrombin time is 32 seconds, and INR is 2.2. The surgeon is reluctant to operate on this patient due to his elevated risk factors. Let's continue with an introduction to preoperative evaluation. Remember that the overall risk of surgery is low in healthy patients. Screening is not indicated unless there is a clinical indication. Baseline tests may include a complete blood count for those over 65 years of age undergoing major surgery or younger patients undergoing surgery expected to have significant blood loss. A serum creatinine should be checked in those greater than 50 years of age who are undergoing a surgery that is greater than intermediate risk, as well as in those who have renal disease. Pregnancy tests should occur in all women in reproductive age. An ECG should take place in patients with coronary artery disease, arrhythmias, peripheral artery disease, cerebrovascular disease, and structural heart disease. A chest radiograph should be performed for those with underlying cardiac or pulmonary disease, those undergoing abdominal or thoracic surgery, and in patients with obesity. Remember that they have an increased risk of pulmonary complications and all of this testing is performed to identify comorbidities that may preclude surgery. Remember that the most common precluding factor is cardiovascular disease. Now let's discuss the cardiac risk assessment in more detail. Indications for this are an ejection fraction less than 35%, a recent myocardial infarction, which should defer surgery for six months, a decompensated congestive heart failure in order to optimize with medication prior to surgery, unstable, severe, or progressive angina. Remember that in this case, one should perform cardiac catheterization to evaluate for possible coronary revascularization. It is also indicated in significant arrhythmias and severe valvular disease. Specific assessments may include an electrocardiogram, a stress test, echocardiography, and a chest radiograph. Now let's discuss pulmonary risk assessment. Indications include smoking, as this compromises ventilation and patients should cease smoking for eight weeks prior to surgery. Other indications include dyspnea of unknown origin and obstructive sleep apnea, as this may require an alternative anesthetic management. Assessments may include ordering pulmonary function testing to evaluate the forced expiratory volume in one second, or FEV1. Remember that if FEV1 is abnormal, one should obtain a blood gas. This assessment may also include screening for OSA and a chest radiograph. Now let's discuss hepatic risk assessment. This is indicated for patients with cirrhosis or acute liver disease, and the assessment involves liver enzyme testing. In terms of renal risk assessment, the indications include any underlying renal disease, and patients should be given fluids before and during surgery. Other indications include patients undergoing urologic surgery, any clinical sign or symptom of urinary tract infection, and dialysis. Remember that patients should be dialyzed 24 hours prior to surgery. The specific assessments may include a urinalysis and serum creatinine. 
And lastly, in terms of the hemostasis risk assessment, this is indicated in patients with personal or family history of a bleeding disorder or in those with liver disease, which may affect clotting factor production. Specific assessments include the prothrombin time, activated partial thromboplastin time, and the platelet count. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to preoperative evaluation, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 65-year-old man presents to his primary care physician for a preoperative evaluation. He is scheduled for cataract surgery in three weeks. His past medical history is notable for diabetes, hypertension, and severe osteoarthritis of the right knee. His medications include metformin, hydrochlorothiazide, lisinopril, and aspirin. His surgeon ordered blood work one month ago, which demonstrated a hemoglobin of 14.2, INR of 1.2, and a hemoglobin A1c of 6.9%. His vital signs at the time of the visit demonstrate a blood pressure of 130 over 70, pulse of 80, respiratory rate of 12, and temperature of 37.2 degrees Celsius. He has no current complaints and is eager for a surgery. Which of the following is the most appropriate course of action for this patient at this time? And the answer choices are, choice one, medically clear the patient for surgery. Choice two, repeat the patient's CBC in coagulation studies. Choice three, perform an EKG. Choice four, schedule the patient for a stress test and ask him to delay surgery for at least six months. Or choice five, tell the patient he will have to delay his surgery for at least one year. The best answer to this question is, choice one, medically clear the patient for surgery. This patient with well-controlled hypertension and diabetes undergoing a low-risk procedure does not need further preoperative cardiac workup and should be cleared for surgery. Perioperative cardiac events can be a major concern in patients undergoing both cardiac and non-cardiac surgery. Postoperative major adverse cardiac events may include death, Q-wave myocardial infarction, a need for a cabbage, and others. The Revised Cardiac Risk Index, or RCRI, estimates a patient's risk of perioperative cardiac complications. The RCRI takes the following parameters into account. High-risk surgery, such as a vascular or intrathoracic or peritoneal surgery, creatinine greater than 2, insulin-dependent diabetes, congestive heart failure, history of a TIA or stroke, and history of ischemic heart disease. The publication by King discusses preoperative evaluation for non-cardiac surgery. A history and physical are the core elements of the evaluation with a focus on determining a patient's functional capacity. Routine lab studies are typically only helpful when monitoring known disease states. Conditions that place a patient at high risk for cardiac complications include unstable angina, an MI within six weeks, and aortic or vascular surgery. The publication by Fleischer et al. discusses cardiac risk management in the 2014 ACC AHA guidelines. They recommend that all patients undergoing surgery undergo evaluation with a validated tool to stratify risk for a major adverse cardiac event. Patients with low risk of a major adverse cardiac event need not undergo further screening or testing. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice two, given the recently normal results in the patient's record and his lack of significant comorbidities or other cardiac risk factors, 
no repeat lab work is necessary. Choice 3. Despite the patient's history of hypertension, an individual with well-controlled blood pressure, normal vitals, and no other cardiac comorbidities who is undergoing minor surgery does not require further testing with an EKG. Choices 4 and 5. There is no need for this patient to delay his surgery given his functional status and the low-risk nature of the procedure. That's all for this review about preoperative evaluation. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.